0: We start today with the humiliatingly abortive presidential campaign announcement of Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. This event was a global humiliation and if DeSantis's presidential campaign is going to follow the theme and tone and competence of yesterday's Twitter spaces announcement, it is going to be a very, very short lived campaign now. Let's not judge it all by the first 24 hours, but it was really bad. For those of you who don't know, there was an announcement made two days ago that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, after much speculation, would indeed announce that he is running for president in the Republican Party against Donald Trump and Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy. And he would be making this announcement alongside Elon Musk on Twitter spaces. Twitter spaces is a very rudimentary. I mean, we're talking about audio over the Internet. This isn't the most advanced, you know, 4K live streaming video you could imagine. So low energy, nearly a dozen technical disasters. I'm starting to think prayer may work because I was willing technical disasters into existence all day yesterday and they happen. So I have to reconsider. Maybe thoughts and prayers actually do have an impact. I'm kidding. Of course, this was the worst and most embarrassing presidential campaign launch that I can remember in the modern political era. Minutes of silence, random throat clearing, (laughs) muffled commentary from Elon Musk about how the servers are melting down. DeSantis himself getting booted off of the event. Let's just listen to a little bit of, it. and again, I'm there. There are going to be extended silences here. I'm trying to get everybody back in the mode of understanding the environment yesterday, which we live streamed, and just everything going wrong. Let's jump into it. It is now live. Okay, so it's starting about eight minutes late, and this is the sort of thing that we experienced. Well, there's two
1: thousand people on.
0: All right. Great. So let's see. So they just keep Crashing huh? Yeah, I think we've got a just a massive number of people
2: online, so it's um, servers are straining somewhat.
0: Um, it's not clear they know they're live right now. That's Elon Musk, by the way, speaking. Yes. It's shocking to me they didn't bring in Mike Pillow's cyber guides to help. Mhm. Take it all in, my friends. Take it all in. <laughs> Normally this this the David Pacman show doesn't include such extended silences, but the the content is the silence in this particular case. They seem to have no idea that this is all live. OK, it got even worse, if you can believe it, when they sort of like got closer to actually starting.
1: Let's see. So, we go.
2: yeah, like think so um, just to simplify that.
0: So then they cut out. When they seemed to realize they were going to be starting, they cut out again. This went on for we're about just half use hour. You. As you can see, it's just not good. Okay, and then there were like audio feedback loops and all sorts of things. Now, There are we're going to get to the DeSantis speech in a moment. There are people like Ben Shapiro, right wing columnist, uh, commentator Ben Shapiro, saying things like what he tweeted, quote, tonight was a perfect encapsulation of the campaign. If you're obsessed with the optics of the Twitter spaces glitch, then you're probably not going to vote DeSantis. If you're interested in political substance, DeSantis is likely your candidate. There were also people on the right saying this isn't a disaster. This event was so popular that it crashed Twitter's servers. So many people were interested that it crashed Twitter servers. It is a big success. All of these narratives are idiotically wrong. First and foremost, once DeSantis started speaking, it got even worse. He read a prepared speech with absolutely no charisma or engaging inflection or delivery, which just talked about woke and he whined. So once DeSantis started speaking, there was no substance. It was just grievances in an even whinier voice than the one Donald Trump speaks in. And for this entire like it wasn't a disaster. So many people were interested that it crashed the servers. This is a success. Number one, not even a million people. This was promoted for 30 hours everywhere nationally, every play Fox was talking about it, CNN, MSNBC, every newspaper, everybody was talking about this. And they scrounged together at its peak 900000 people. That's not exactly a rousing success. And the whole story about Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter is He's the tech guy. He's going to rebuild the stack. Remember that? We're going to rebuild the stack completely from the ground up. We've, we're, we've gotten rid of all of the superfluous engineers. Now Twitter is operating beautifully. This is just audio over the Internet. It's not even video, and they couldn't hold it together. So the, it was such a success that it crashed is not a viable line. Now, DeSantis eventually did start speaking. And he somehow figured out a way to be even more whiny than Trump during his campaign launch, which is really bonkers stuff. He used the word woke, I think, more than 20 times. I lost count. Our live audience lost count. Here's sort of what the, the speech sounded like.
2: Biden's allowed woke ideology to drive his agenda. We will never surrender to the woke mob and we will leave woke ideology in the dustbin of history.
0: There you go. So woke, woke, woke. You know, remember when Rudy Giuliani was uh, 9 11 noun verb. Ron DeSantis is woke noun verb. That's what that's what it is. A humiliation for Elon Musk that cannot be understated. Nothing worked. And once DeSantis actually got to speak, it was the lowest energy campaign announcement I could imagine. The political alliance also shouldn't be ignored. Elon Musk, who says his number one priority in buying Twitter and making the changes to Twitter that he made is free speech. And he's making a big show of celebrating Ron DeSantis, who is quite literally banning books in school libraries and suppressing the speech of teachers and corporations in Florida. That's the alliance that we have here. This event was so bad, even Donald Trump looked clever and funny in trolling DeSantis. And I want to talk about that next. You all know my feelings about Donald Trump. I think he's a complete and total doofus, dangerous wannabe authoritarian dictator, liar, con man, grifter. You, you all know that. The DeSantis campaign launch was so bad that it made Donald Trump's memes and posts to truth. Social truth actually make Trump seem like a funny and clever guy. And a couple of people wrote to me and said, wow, your brain is so broken, David, that now you think Trump looks good. You know, the same people who were saying you're too critical of Trump. you're You have Trump derangement syndrome are now telling me I'm deranged because I think that the DeSantis event made Trump look better. Trump's campaign now looks like it is functioning properly. That's how bad the DeSantis launch was. Trump posted this video to Troth central and it's a contrasting video of Trump's launch and the DeSantis launch. It's genuinely funny. Take a look at this. Take a listen to this and you'll see when you hear the country song. It's Trump's campaign launch and then when you hear audio feedback loops. It's the DeSantis Twitter spaces launch. This is genuinely funny. Here we go. To be an American.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I won't forget the men who died.
1: We are, are uh, kind of melting the servers. <laughs>
2: and I'm to be an American.
1: To freedom, and his money put his money where, where, his, his, money mouth his, where mouth his, his mouth
2: is. I've the narrative on <laughs> <of us laughs> by our, our government. government. Me, Have uh, Governor Sanders uh,
1: make this up. Uh,
0: okay, so what is amazing about this is there are levels of things, there are levels of disasters. When we, many of us, A few 20,000 of us or so watched the Trump campaign announcement together. We did a live stream, beautiful live stream. Some say the best. And when Trump comes out and he's all stiff and he's standing there hinging back and forth and leaning forward and God bless the USA is playing and a crowd of Mar-a-Lago sycophants is almost, you know, peeing their pants in, in titillated pleasure over the presence of Donald Trump. We look at it and we say this is a humiliation. How it, after all these years dating back to 2015, this disastrous Trump campaign, blah, 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 all this stuff. How are these people? This is this is humiliating. And Trump looks like a more. what could possibly be worse than this? And then what's worse is DeSantis tries to announce his candidacy on Twitter spaces and it goes horribly wrong. By the time it starts 25 minutes late due to a technical disaster, DeSantis just talks about woke, woke, woke reading a prepared speech on Twitter. And you realize, wow, the Trump event was the previous bottom of the barrel. But DeSantis is far, far, far worse. And now we go, well, the Trump event, I guess, wasn't that bad. Now, meanwhile, over on Truth Social. Trump really getting a lot of mileage out of this, and it'll be interesting to see where the polling goes as a result of this fiasco. Trump posting to Troth, quote, Rob, my red button. So he calls Ron DeSantis Rob. Now, I don't even know where that comes from. Rob, my red button is bigger, better, stronger and is working. Truth. Yours does not. Per my conversation with Kim Jong Un of North Korea, soon to become my friend. Then continuing, wow, the DeSantis Twitter launch is a disaster. His whole campaign will be a disaster. Watch Trump continuing. This genuinely is funny. Uh, Tim Scott's presidential launch, even with the broken microphone, don't pay the contractor. Tim was by far the best presidential launch of the week. Rob's was a catastrophe. And then lastly, Trump trothing is the DeSantis launch fatal. (laughs) Yes. So a self-inflicted error for sure. Later on in the evening, DeSantis appeared on Fox News to talk policy and that was a disaster. We'll talk later. But 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 before we assume too much, DeSantis continues to gain in the polls against Trump since news of the announcement broke what you see on the screen, the purple line is Trump and the green line is DeSantis. As you can see, starting in late March when news of Trump's arrest went public, it was just up, up, up for Trump going from 44 to 56 in the Republican primary and DeSantis falling from a high of 30 all the way down to 19. But but since news broke that DeSantis would be announcing, DeSantis climbing from 19 to 21 and Trump dropping from 56 to 54. Is it a big change? No. But is it an inflection point? Is Maga going to abandon Trump? Are we going to see this as the inevitable rise of Ron DeSantis? We have to wait and see. After the break, we will look at DeSantis's first major interview as a 2024 presidential candidate. And I will warn you it is tough to watch remember that monday memorial day now just a few days away we will be uh, offering a one day membership special this is our end of may launch 2024 discounted membership special one day only if you'd like to be notified of how to sign up for a criminally inexpensive membership on monday simply get on my newsletter at davidpackman.com we'll take a quick break it is a hell of a program today. One of our sponsors today is Bon Charge. I have always enjoyed dry saunas. You get in there, your heart rate is up, dilates the blood vessels, can soothe achy joints and muscles. It's relaxing. It's just a great way to remove a little stress. Bon Charge is the creator of the infrared sauna blanket, which you can enjoy from home. Super easy to set up heats up fast. You don't have to have your head inside like at a traditional sauna at the gym. Nice for meditating or reading, getting work done, relaxing. I have found it to be a great way to unwind at the end of a long day. Easy to clean, sleek, lightweight design, easy to store and comes with a 12 month warranty. And of course, if you don't love it, returns are super easy. But I think you will love it. And you'll get 15% off when you go to bondcharge.com/slash Pacman and use the code Pacman. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com slash Pacman. Use code Pacman for 15% off. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. Uh, viewers of the show, listeners know I'm a big advocate of therapy. Uh, I think it's important to make it more accessible, remove any stigma that might be associated. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is therapy done entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy and BetterHelp is making it more accessible to more people. You can even find a therapist who specializes in certain areas which maybe you can't find where you are geographically. There are lots of great benefits to doing therapy online. Get it off your chest. Visit BetterHelp, go to betterhelp.com/pacman show today to get 10 percent off your first month. That's better. H.E.L.P. Dot slash Pacman show. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Ounce of Hope, giving our listeners 20 percent off. Ounce of Hope is an aquaponic cannabis company and a small business that supports The David Pacman Show. If you're not familiar with aquaponics, what they do is sustainably raise fish and they use the nutrient rich water. Folks, we're talking about fish poop here to feed the cannabis plants. It's really a cool concept. It's organic. It's symbiotic. And what ounce of hope offers you is a wide range of high quality cannabis products. They have CBD. They have more recreational products made with Delta eight and Delta nine THC. Their products with THC are psychoactive, producing the type of buzz associated with marijuana. But their THC products are 100 percent federally legal because they are derived from hemp. So they can be shipped anywhere in the United States. Ounce of Hope grows, extracts and formulates everything in house. You can trust the safety and quality of everything that arrives at your door. So, whether you're looking for help sleeping at night, something for aches or pains, a recreational way to unwind on the weekend, Ounce of Hope can help. Ounce of Hope is giving David Pacman Show listeners 20% off everything they offer. When you go to ounceofhope.com and use code PACMAN, that's O U N C E, of Hope.com, use code PACMAN at checkout for 20% off. The info is in the podcast notes. So after his completely farcical presidential announcement on Twitter spaces, uh, Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis gave his first interview as a presidential candidate. He gave this interview to Trey Gowdy, who was guest hosting on Fox News, and DeSantis suffered what I call a talking point coma. He couldn't stop repeating the word woke. He also threw in an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory for good measure. Right. I mean, he is running as a Republican after all. Let's take a look at this. And this is just if you thought the announcement was bad when DeSantis actually gets a chance to speak, it gets even worse. So let's start there. Here is Ron DeSantis with a talking point coma. Can't stop saying woke.
1: Well,
2: first of all, the woke mind virus is basically a form of cultural Marxism. Uh At the end of the day, it's an attack on the truth. And because it's a war on truth, I think we have no uh, choice but to wage a war on woke. woke. So how does that work for a president? Some of it may be the bully pulpit, being willing to tell the truth and not being diluted by ideology, which we see in many aspects of our society.
0: There you go. So woke, 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 Florida is where woke goes to die. We will end woke. So please understand that the term cultural Marxism is nothing but a far right wing conspiracy theory that is, let me t- to put it lightly, often tinged with anti-Semitism. I, I get emails every time one of these right wingers starts talking about cultural Marxism. People write in and say, David, what the hell? I know Marxism, the economic theory. What on earth is cultural Marxism? When the right uses the term cultural Marxism, they are talking about a supposed leftist agenda That wants to undermine traditional values. It wants to erode societal norms. It wants to promote political correctness and police police speech and this sort of thing. Often what they accuse George Soros of is tantamount to the very cultural Marxism they claim exists. And they say that this so-called cultural Marxism is a conspiracy propagated by left wing intellectuals, left wing activists, Democrats, etc. They want to infiltrate and control institutions, including academia, media, entertainment, and they want to reshape culture to fit their ideology. Now, according to that perspective, cultural Marxists are accused of manipulating language, promoting and using identity politics, advocating for social justice issues and LGBT rights and so on and so forth at the expense of individual freedoms, and liberty and so on and so forth. The most important thing to understand about so-called cultural Marxism is that it essentially does not exist. And what I mean by that is Marxism focuses on economic structures and class struggle. That's the first thing to understand. It doesn't actually focus on cultural or social issues, although Marxism does acknowledge that culture and society will be shaped by the economic system. That's number one. So even the term doesn't really make sense. Secondly. The entire emergence of the term cultural Marxism came from a misinterpretation of actual Marxism. That's number two. And then number three, there's also no Marxists in the United States. Now, I know you might go to, uh, you know, the local Magic the Gathering tournament and meet an actual Marxist who understands Marxist ideology and says they subscribe to it. And I'm not insulting magic. The gathering, I'm just saying, like, you might be able to find someone somewhere who's a- actually a Marxist. There is not a single Marxist in a position of power in federal government that I can think of in the United States. So when the right talks about cultural Marxism, they don't even really know what they're talking about. It's not Marxism. It doesn't exist. And it's thinly veiled anti-Semitism. So but that wasn't the worst moment of this entire thing. Then DeSantis is asked. What makes you different than Trump? When Nikki Haley was asked this question, she said, I'm a, I'm a woman of color and I'm younger. When Tim Scott was asked, what makes you different f- from Trump? He didn't even really answer. And he said there will be a stark contrast, by which I guess he means he's younger than Trump and he's black. Does Ron DeSantis actually answer the question? Let's see.
2: Yeah. So why now? And what distinguishes you from from the other candidates? Are there policy differences or is it? more about electability and how you would implement those no, no, no. policies even if you agree on them i don't know. well why now i think it's because the country's going in the wrong direction we have another four years of the biden administration uh, i think some of the damage is going to be irreversible uh, i think we have an opportunity now kind of like the late 1970s when jimmy carter was president uh to really move the country in a much stronger direction Uh, And really bring a lot of bold leadership to bear. Uh, Why me? Well, I think what we've been able to do in Florida is two things. One, we've had unprecedented policy success. All the things that we believe as Republicans or as conservatives for many, many years, we've been able to take those values and those principles and actually turn them into reality. Every single day we put up big wins on the board, but we're doing that while also enjoying major political success. You alluded to it. We were able to win re-election by a historic okay. margin. So over as one you can
0: see, he doesn't actually say what distinguishes him from Trump when he was asked about the military and exactly what he would do with Ukraine. He talked about gender ideology. I'm not kidding, guys. I'm not kidding. Look at this.
2: All right. You uh, wore the uniform. If you are elected president, you may be the first one in a while uh, to have worn the uniform. How would you address the ongoing war in Eastern Europe between Russia and Ukraine on day one of the okay. DeSantis' presidency? presidents? Good question. Well, first, I think what we need to do as a veteran is recognize that our, our military uh, has become politicized. Uh, you talk about gender ideology. You talk about things like global warming that they're somehow concerned. (laughs) And that's not the military that I served in. We need to return our military uh, to focusing on uh, commitment, focusing on the core values and the core mission. Wow. That would be something that I could take care of on day one. Uh, There'll be a new sheriff in town as commander in chief. And I think you'll see recruiting start to get back to where it needs to be because people don't want to join. a war.
0: As if the military is not big enough
2: military. And I think it's been really, really problematic. Look, in terms of what's going on over in Eastern Europe, um, you know, I'd like to see a settlement of this. I do not want to see a wider war.
0: Okay, so what he would do, he would he wants the war to end is what he would do. But woke in the military is really the problem. Disastrous interview. Is that going to convince MAGA voters to switch to DeSantis from Trump? Let's give it a few days and see where the polling lands. A wildly triggered failed former president Donald Trump, even before Ron DeSantis announced that he was running for president, released an attack ad on Ron DeSantis, calling him a swamp creature. Let's take a look at this. This might give us a little bit of a preview of the sorts of lines of attack that we may be seeing during what is certainly going to be an extremely ugly Republican primary campaign. Take a look. Trump defeats the.
2: 2016, President Trump defeats the liberals and heads to Washington to drain the swamp.
1: But swamp creature Ron DeSantis is about to start his third term in Congress, and he's already voted repeatedly to cut Social Security and Medicare. 2017, Trump passes huge tax cuts for nearly everyone. And Ron DeSantis, he's pushing a bill that would swap those tax cuts for a new 23% national sales tax.
0: So let's just pick pick this families paid more just to pick. I can't fact check everything here, but Trump has been saying this a lot, that Ron DeSantis was going to put in a 23% sales tax and, and, you know, uh, make everybody pay more. The reality is what DeSantis supported was part of the fair tax proposal. And what that would have done is put in a 23 percent national sales tax, but get rid of income taxes, payroll taxes, estate taxes and gift taxes. And the idea was simplify the tax code and make it more transparent by lowering taxes for rich people. So is it a lie to say DeSantis supported a 23 percent national sales tax? It's not a lie, but it was a right wing proposal to lower taxes on the rich. Imagine that you're in the 37 percent federal tax bracket and then you've got. Uh, your Social Security, Medicare and so on and so forth. If you replace all of that stuff, if you get rid of income tax, payroll tax, estate tax and gift tax and you just pay 23 percent, that's on what you spend. That's an insane decline in taxes on the rich. So like, is it a lie what Trump is saying in the ad? It's not a lie, but it's extraordinarily deceptive. 2018
1: Trump is building the wall,
2: securing the border, fighting the invasion while Ron DeSantis is voting against funding for Trump's wall in Washington. One was a leader and one let us down. Even DeSantis admitted there are big differences between him and Trump. Obviously there is because I, I, I voted contrary to him in the co-
0: Okay. so this is going to be such an ugly primary that it's going to make your head spin. But also a factor will be that Trump is constantly lying about DeSantis. And if DeSantis decides to acknowledge that Trump is running right, because so far it's been like, just don't even talk about Trump. Is he going to tell the truth about Trump policy or is he going to have to lie to draw distinctions that don't really exist? We're going to watch it. Many different right-wing media outlets and right-wing elected officials slamming Ron DeSantis's decision to announce his presidential campaign on Twitter. One such critique uh, or uh, ridicule came from Fox and Friends, Fox and Friends with a, "What the heck is Twitter Spaces moment, ridiculing DeSantis for his choice here.:
2: Hey, Lucas, so he's going to make the big announcement with Elon Musk at six o'clock tonight on Twitter Spaces. Right. what the heck is Twitter spaces? <laughs> I wish I knew more about <laughs> okay, it. You know <laughs> I think he's trying to make it sounds bigger, like a video right? function. Yeah, right. Yeah, we've there's heard a that they to do some streaming and some podcasts and that kind of thing. I think it's fascinating that they're using social media as a way to announce a presidency.
0: Yes, it's all very fascinating. So listen, there's uh, people wrote to me and said, you know, David, it's weird because yesterday morning, Fox and Friends was just gushing about how great Tim Scott is. And now they're making fun of Ron DeSantis. What are the explanations? There's two primary interpretations of this. One interpretation is that Fox sees DeSantis as the only guy that might defeat Trump. So they attack him and praise Tim Scott, who doesn't have a shot, all in reality in service to helping Trump. You attack the only guy that might beat Trump. You kind of pretend to prop up guys that have no shot like Tim Scott. And it just keeps Trump at the front. That's one interpretation of what Fox Fox and Friends is doing. Second interpretation is they genuinely want someone other than Trump. But for whatever reason, the brass at Fox News has decided DeSantis is not the guy we want. So we're going to make fun of DeSantis and, and praise Tim Scott. Uh, we, we absolutely have no idea at this point in time. Fox News is priority, really is maintain access to those in power, and that is going to be their primary motivation. We will see in the next couple of weeks how Fox News perspective on the primary solidifies. In the meantime, Marjorie Taylor Greene is becoming Donald Trump's latest attack dog against Ron DeSantis. Yesterday, I told you about Kerry Lake going after DeSantis in service of Trump. Now it is Marjorie Taylor Greene. What Kerry Lake and Marjorie Taylor Greene have in common. Um, is they both seem to be openly vying to be Donald Trump's vice presidential choices. Here's Marjorie Taylor Greene also attacking DeSantis for where he is announcing his campaign, which he did last night on Twitter spaces. You don't announce that you're running for president of the United States. In some kind of little Twitter world. It's not a real world. Twitter is not real. So I can't comprehend why that would be the place to do the announcement. It makes no sense. And it's not serious. Okay, so Marjorie Taylor Greene says DeSantis isn't serious. Remember that there are there is the belief that Trump will pick a woman to be his running mate this time around. The four women whose names are being floated are Marjorie Taylor Greene, Carrie Lake, Nikki Haley, who's running against Trump. And Christy Nome from South Dakota, who it's not even clear if she's interested, and it's not even really clear if she's the top contender. So, arguably, Marjorie Taylor Greene participating in this in service to supporting her own potential candidacy to be Donald Trump's vice president. A wild 24 hours. All of these clips will be on our Instagram, which you can find by searching Instagram for David Pakman Show. They'll be on our TikTok. And they will be on our YouTube channel as well. Are you tired of getting crushed in the market or the volatility? There is some good news, which is that Treasury yields are surging. You can now get a whopping 5% yield on Treasury bills. That is higher than any high yield savings account that I have seen. But buying US Treasuries can be a complicated process, at least it used to be. That's where our sponsor, public.com, comes in. With public. You can buy Treasury bills in seconds right from your phone. Couldn't be easier. Plus, public will even automatically roll over your investments at maturity. So you have one less thing to think about. Take another thing off your plate. Treasury bills are government backed securities considered one of the safest investments out there. And when you buy them through public, they are securely stored at the Bank of New York Mellon, which is the largest custodian bank in the world. No minimum hold periods no settlement delays. You have full access to your funds whenever you need them. Put your cash to work. Earn that five percent yield by going to publiccom dot Pacman. Don't miss the opportunity. The link is in the podcast notes. Today we're going to be speaking with David Auerbach, who's a writer and technologist and author of Meganets: Nets, how digital forces beyond our control commandeer our daily lives and inner realities. Maybe to start with, David, when we talk about mega nets, what what do you mean by mega nets? What are some examples?
1: Yeah, I think the other question you want to ask is why a new word? And the key aspect is that I wanted a term that not only includes these huge networks uh, by which I include everything from social networks to online games to cryptocurrencies, um but to emphasize that the people and the data we put into these networks are now an intrinsic part of it, that we're accustomed to thinking of these networks as things that we program that engineers program and come up with, and and we're just subjected to them. But that's not really what's happening. What's happening is we have these systems that now are engaged in feedback loops, very high high volume, high uh, velocity, and uh, high virality feedback loops that constantly cause their own algorithms and behavior to change so that you can't step into the same algorithm twice, so to speak. And my argument that I make in the book is that these particular kinds of systems, which I call meganets, don't let us have control in the way that we think, we use with in the way that we think we do, or the way that we used to over software that in fact, they are becoming more akin to natural systems like, you know, the weather or plate tectonics, or even something like macroeconomics, where you can exert some push on it. But asking, say, to okay, let's just stamp out everything bad on the internet is like saying, well, let's just stamp out all stock crashes.
0: Yeah. When we um, uh, when we think about some of those feedback loops and algorithms, I mean, just to take something simple, like much of the social media we interact with, I think in in passing casual layperson terms, many of us sort of understand that. Uh, These algorithms are optimized for keeping us on the platform as well as generating engagement and that engagement is more likely to be generated by content that triggers a bigger emotional reaction. And so that's where we get a lot of these echo chambers of extremist content and things that titillate and so on and so forth. We kind of think we have this passing understanding sort of of what's happening but there's more to it. Right. And I think this is part of what you get to in the book that there's a whole other layer that goes beyond that understanding.
1: Yeah, because what happens is that, um, you know, that focus on engagement, certainly there's a financial incentive there, but some of it is also that um, these algorithms are effectively run out of control. It's not as though someone at Facebook is making the choice for engagement every single time. The algorithms are being tweaked and shunted so that you know, often based on wrong information, even because you know they're in no way infallible. What you get is um, is are forces that uh, that 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 do amplify popular content, but also forces that cause uh, balkanization mm-hmm. and mutual incomprehension. Uh, simply because, yeah, there is that catering towards what's termed engagement and the focus on engagement isn't i mean yes profit is there but it's also well what would you substitute for it because at that point well now the uh now the tech companies are telling you what you want engagement sort of became the default uh the default rationale for what to show people because anything else is okay the tech companies are now running our lives so if facebook puts a you know a warning on a piece of content saying this is misinformation well, OK, that's not optimizing for engagement, but you've caused a different problem <laughs> at that point.
0: There and are many. Um, you, yeah, no, go ahead.
1: Yeah. The issue is that even if you were to have to be able to make those sorts of decisions in a way that wouldn't cause massive uh, controversy, uh, you still have the issue that there's more content that can be possibly be filtered certainly ahead of time. You're f- constantly closing the barn door after the whole horse has bolted. And that's why when misinformation by one stand or another gets out, th- it's very hard to ma- change people's minds because the nature of these meganets is that you can now find reinforcing data for whatever viewpoint you have. And that, that's really what's changed is that you have these many-to-many networks. And it, it's not even a matter of killing brush fires so much as that it's creating... Once you have a surplus of content and no evolutionary pressure to, to sort of select one narrative that everybody then sort of falls into, then there's, there's no force driving people to reconcile. And you, know, you can't do much to, to, to bring people together around a, an enforced narrative.
0: So along those lines, you know, often the idea of we need more regulation is thrown around and whether folks even know what they really mean by that when they say it isn't totally clear. Sometimes there's a sort of these companies have gotten too big and they need to be broken up and that will improve the situation. But it's not exactly totally clear how Uh, Jonathan Haidt has mentioned, like one thing that would be useful at the individual user level would be uh, you can't be anonymous to the platform, you can use a handle that's not your real name, but you should genuinely have to sort of like register with the social media platform so they know who you are. But a lot of people are like, I don't know that I necessarily want every social media platform having my driver's license. I don't know. Some of the things you suggest are kind of counterintuitive. Can, can you talk a little bit about what you think would help?
1: Yeah, well, I think that, you know, one of the reasons why people are having such a hard time coming with fixes is that we don't understand the problem that well and we don't understand the limits of our control that if if you're going to regulate the first impulse is to say okay just like get rid of everything i don't like and um and it's put the tech companies into a weird position because they are they do is more or less safe now and again that they literally don't have the amount of control that they that we think they do and that they often claim to because you know, there's a there was this Facebook memo where they they're more concerned about being uh, seen as not having control of their own systems than as being perceived as evil. Like better that they be evil capitalists than that they literally be out of control. But unfortunately, the latter one is a lot closer to the truth. So my suggestions are, you know, I guess they're they're meant to. Um, try to sort of break up the tendencies of these mega nets by uh by by decoagulating the pockets that tend to amplify stuff and what i have in mind here you know in the run-up to the 2020 election facebook banned all political advertising right that's not the action of a company that can like you know, make a fine grained filtering of content. So I take that as admission there. Okay. Now there's no question that did, uh, that I'm sure that did have an effect. Um, uh, was it over the top? Maybe, but, uh, it's that sort of level that we actually can operate on. And the question is, how do you do those sorts of interventions without it, uh, interfering in people's freedoms And without it, um, and without it coming off as biased. So that's why I advocate for non targeted mechanisms where you aren't really trying to target a particular type of content, because unless it's something really extreme, like child pornography, that's okay to target. I think we all agree that that stuff can be removed from the net. But when it comes to, you know, sort of stuff that's uh, in the quote unquote mainstream of political discourse, well, the mainstream now includes pretty much each side thinking that the other side is evil. So you're not going to win on that one. What you can do instead, though, is try to amplify um, diversity and um and the quieter voices. In other words, enforce something like turn taking, where basically the louder you get, the less privilege you have to be heard in the algorithm. Or say, intentionally randomize recommendation algorithms so that you get things that are not what's being recommended to you. TikTok apparently did this with. Uh, uh, pro anorexia videos because they were recommending too pro anorexia too many pro anorexia videos to that crowd, so they actually broke down the recommendation algorithm and said, "Okay, start giving them other stuff. It doesn't hmm. matter what it is. Just stop giving them the reiterations of what they already have." And targeting something specific. Like a particular type of content means you're always going to be chasing after the next one. But if you were to be, if you were to do this more generally speaking, and not say, look, we're not banning this. We're just going to say that there's going to be a more, you know, egalitarian uh, float of what you see and who gets to speak. I think you could move in a in a better direction. Now that isn't to say that you would have to not. You have to do experiments here. You have to make sure that it is fair and not corrupt and all of that. But I do think that those sorts of solutions are more feasible than the ones we look to now where effectively we're saying, oh, just go in and audit the algorithms and eliminate bias and, you know, do what we want. That's I, to me is a nonstarter.
0: It seems that to some degree, a lot of these discussions that have to be had about how to fix this problem that we don't yet 100 percent understand, but we're hopefully building a picture of what the problem is. It seems a lot of this would be mitigated by greater media literacy and critical thinking skills, which generally speaking seem to be lacking. Now, I don't want to pretend like that's just the solution that if people were smarter, right? because you're, you're sort of saying like all these stupid people are making us have to figure out this um, sort of thing. I, I don't I want to say that. But at the same time, when I see in my space, some of the narratives that end up having to be fought and that then you have to figure out policy on or they lead to what some then say is censorship or whatever, if we had on average greater critical thinking and media literacy skills, it seems as though that would be useful, even though I don't want to just say the problem is stupid people.
1: It's interesting. I mean, from my perspective, I mean, maybe I was one of the stupid people because a lot of the stuff wasn't on obvious to me. Mm. And one of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, I, I, I worked at Google. I was a software engineer in the early days, and I don't think any of us. Anticipated the degree of impact that people would have, that the users would have. Um, it just, it just, it was just not an obvious thing. We were so used to saying, okay, well, here's the data, and we do stuff with it. Not, oh, users are coming in and they're shaping the algorithms. So, I, I think part of the problem is, is that, um, is that even very smart people, you know, it's not an obvious system. And I don't claim to understand it at all. And it took, you know, it took quite a bit of thinking for me to sort of get my head around what I thought was actually going on. Because even the really smart people I knew seemed to be falling into various cul de sacs. Uh, Partly, I think, as an effect of being reinforced in this or that thought by being by getting placed into these little balkanized. uh, uh, They're not. They're not just bubbles. They're like narrative bunkers where the assumptions become so taken for granted that you can never get past them so I actually I, I'm not I, I think that the level of thinking required is actually beyond that which individuals can easily get a hold of because I mean I had, I had I had a lot of time to do it and I still I still am not certain about it that and, and one of the points I make is that there's just too much that this explosion of data and information, I think is moving the unit of agency higher so that individual rationality doesn't work and doesn't have the same efficacy that it used to. A gang is gonna, a gang of people, a group of people is going to be able to out, out shout in these networks, any individual, no matter what their, um, no matter how, how great their, um, their, um, uh, their critical thinking may be there are exceptions you know if you're donald trump obviously you have more pull if you're jeffrey hinton you know one of the founders of deep learning as it exists today you know that that will count for something but in the main i think um, uh, the application of critical thinking i think it leads to a sense of of powerlessness and of uncertainty of flip-flopping between well uh, there's that there's those groups of people over there that literally don't even have the same language or foundations for their thought that I do. How on earth do I even resolve that that it's sort of it's it's super rational in that in that um, it, it's too big for one person or even a company to get its Uh, to get its head around. And I don't mean to be fatalistic about that, but, you know, it, it echoes the current concerns with AI that, you know, AI is not intelligent per se, but it does have a capacity to incorporate these huge amounts of data in the way that we don't. And that's one of the reasons why we can't exactly tell what's going on with it. And I mean, even again, very look at They're very smart people who I think are completely wrong about what AI is capable of or what it does. You know, to me, these new chatbots, they do not think, they do not understand what they're saying. To me, I think that is absolutely um, indisputable. But, um, you know, there are people with more expertise in it than I do that insist that that's not the case. And I don't think any amount of critical thinking is going to resolve that. You need something that's sort of like, structurally just prevents chaos from forming.
0: Last thing I want to ask you about, do you have an opinion about? And if you don't, that's fine. What's been going on with Twitter recently, Uh, DeSantis launch failure aside in terms of, you know, I have found that even though I didn't I at no point have decided I'm sick of Twitter and I'm getting off of it. But slowly, since Elon Musk took over, you know, they uh, took away my and many other people's verification. And um, we're now looking at my verified feed does nothing for me. It shows me people with 30 followers who are paying eight bucks a month for some reason and power all power to them. But that's not the way I was using that before. That was a useful tool for me. The for you feed is even though I'm a person on the left, it's feeding me right wing stuff from Brigitte Gabriel and other right wing bomb throwers. So that's not interesting to me. My following feed where I see the people I'm actually following is quite dead because many of those people also have reduced their usage of Twitter. What do you have an opinion about what's happening on
1: Twitter? Um, I mean, not an informed one, since I don't have a huge I don't have much in the way of sources on the inside. But um, I think it's a combination of intent and incompetence. I mean, Mm. you know um even even if they were even if they supposedly fired their worst performing 50 percent there was still a brain drain there you know that 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 musk's track record is of going in shaking things up just blowing things up and then sort of forcing people to reassemble it um the problem is is that it's okay if you do that, you know, if you do that to a private company, no one, no one's going to notice except the and employees and maybe, you know, the, the stock market or whatever. If you do it on Twitter, you're going to see the seams showing. So for any of these phenomena that you're talking about, some of them may be, uh, partly or wholly intentional, but I have no doubt that a lot of it is just sheer chaos mm. that, that they're, they're struggling. You know, he brought in, um, uh, he brought in uh, that assistant who slept on the floor. She was gone a month later <laughs> yeah. uh, and it sounds like you know I, I the his new CEO appointment seems like a, a scapegoat to me so uh, so um, if you have a more specific question I can say, but I do think that in some ways I, Twitter was all, always a very anomalous entity hmm. in that it didn't make, it didn't especially make money. Um, it was run worse because it didn't make money. It was run worse than a lot of the other big networks. Um, it was a massive target because of it being a public square. It was a target for everybody. And so um, I, it was never, I don't think it was ever going to end well. It didn't happen have to end with uh, in, in this particular way with Musk buying it. But, you know, there was a reason why, there weren't any competing bids it's it is very much a poison chalice and in some ways I do suspect that the very idea of a central public square is on the way out because um, um, it it's ta- it was becoming, Basically impossible for it to keep people happy, enough people happy. Um, Now Musk sort of is the accelerationist option. Yes, very much so. How unhappy we can make people. Um, You know, my my Twitter experience is. I mean, it's a. I've run into some of the same problems, but um, I think because of the way I curate my feed, it's probably me a little less, but I I can, I can see the decline. Um, uh, and, uh, and again, I mean, some of these are definitely bugs and there's definitely a chance that the thing, I mean, I've seen weird, bizarre things popping up and it's like, okay, that's gotta be a bug. I don't get what that is. (laughs) The fact that we can't
0: totally tell, I guess, is an interesting part of the, uh, part of the whole thing.
1: Well the weird thing is is that I mean that I think that's always been the case. It's just become much more noticeable. Yeah. You know, I mean you know, Facebook thought I was black for many years. It might <laughs> still. Um, and if I knew that I could see why some of the ads I was getting. It's like, oh, okay, that, that's that's why." Um, but yeah. And I'm pretty sure that wasn't intentional. But you know, the job of the company is just to keep it from becoming too obvious. And yeah. Twitter's problem right now is that it's become pretty obvious. Very
0: much, so, very much so. Very much yeah. so. The book is Meganets, how digital forces beyond our control commandeer our daily lives and inner realities. We've been speaking with the book's author, David Auerbach. David, really appreciate your time and insights today.
1: Great. OK, uh, thank you for having me.
0: One of the best ways to support this show is by supporting our sponsors today. One of those sponsors is sheath underwear. It is spring. Temperatures are rising. Many of us know all too well about the sweating and the sticking and the chafing. But that's only when you use traditional underwear. When you use sheath underwear, it's no longer a problem. Sheath underwear is ergonomically designed with separate compartments in the front to keep everything dry, cool and separate and to keep you comfortable. They come in a zillion different designs, something for everybody. The quality is amazing, super long lasting. Put an end to the readjusting and the sweating and the shifting uncomfortably. Sheath Underwear is really a lifesaver. You will thank yourself. It's a unique product you've got to try at least once to see for yourself. And my audience gets 20% off with code PACMAN. Go to sheathunderwear.com slash PACMAN. That's S H E A T H underwear.com slash PACMAN. Use the code PACMAN for 20% off. The link is in the podcast notes. In the midst of all of the hubbub around Ron DeSantis announcing he's running for president, Tim Scott announcing that he's running Donald Trump spending 24 to 48 hours simply going after Ron DeSantis. Everybody forgot about Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina, is also running for the Republican nomination. She is getting absolutely no attention. She's desperate for relevance. So what does she do yesterday? She goes, I don't know, let me go completely anti transgender. Why not? This seems to be playing well among some. Now, she's not wrong. The biggest applause lines for the last couple of years at right wing events, including CPAC and others, have been when speakers make fun of or go after LGBT people. It's a resurgence of that in the Republican Party. So here is Nikki Haley figuring out, I guess, how to get some attention. Maybe people will choose her because she's going to come out against trans people in a disgusting way. Here's what she had to say at politics and eggs in New Hampshire. We've got biological boys playing in girls sports. Uh -uh. It is the women's issue of our time. Where is everyone? Right. My daughter ran track in high school. Did she? I wouldn't even know how to have that conversation with her. Hmm. How do we get our girls comfortable with biological boys in their locker room? It's not okay. Everybody know about Dylan Mulvaney? Bud Light, right? Right. Make no mistake. Right. That is a guy dressed up like a girl mm. making fun of women. Women don't act like that. Yet everybody's wondering why a third of our teenage girls seriously contemplated suicide last year? What are we doing to them? We're supposed to be growing strong girls, confident girls, not ones being made fun of. Right. So One of the reasons that's actually evidence based for the increase in suicidal ideation among particularly teen girls, but teens in general, is unrestricted access to social media seems to be extremely damaging in many different ways. Cal Newport has a recent podcast episode on this issue that I highly recommend people listen to. but the idea among the anti trans activists that, quote, keeping men out of women's sports. That's how they call it. We've got to keep men out of women's sports. They, they pretend that it's a feminist issue, a women's issue. The claim that banning trans women from sports is a feminist issue, number one, ignores the history and diversity of actual feminism. Feminism, feminism isn't this monolithic movement it's a comp- compilation or combination of different perspectives and goals that aim to achieve what different people see as gender equality and justice. And there are many feminists who support trans rights and inclusion and they see trans women as allies in a struggle against whatever it is that they believe is the most important thing to struggle against. And so part of the feminist movement uh, argues that when you exclude trans women from women's spaces and activities, you're actually reinforcing the very harmful stereotypes that feminism has has sought to undo. But it's okay to acknowledge that the so-called let's not let's call it trans women in women's sports to to try to put uh, a, a less offensive way to describe it. That is a difficult issue for some sports. In which physical advantage comes from muscle mass, weightlifting would be one example. And I am the first to tell you that although trans women in women's sports is an issue that is a slice of a slice of a slice, right? You've got like all political issues, issues related to gender within issues related to gender issues that are under the trans category under trans. You have all sorts of different issues, bathrooms and blah, all the, within that you've got okay sports and then a subsection of that would be sports in which muscle mass confers a definitive advantage. So we're understanding the scope, right? This is not the biggest issue. There are different opinions about how it should be handled. Some say. So, you know, 31 states have gone the way of banning biological male individuals from women's sports in some capacity. That's one approach some are taking. It's been done in 31 states as of about a year and a half ago. The number may be slightly different now. That's one view. Another approach is you let trans women, biological males, right, different people use different terms for this. You allow those individuals to compete in women's sports if they meet certain criteria, such as undergoing uh, hormone suppression therapy for a certain period of time as signed off on by a medical professional. The NCAA has gone in that direction for some sports in some cases. Another idea is for the sports in which muscle mass confers a definitive advantage. You create a separate category for trans athletes who don't fit into the other binary categories. There are many who say that actually is going to further stigma. That's the last thing we need. The point is, there is a conversation to be had about trans women, specifically in the sports where muscle mass is really important. Nikki Haley talking about a guy named Dylan Mulvaney, who's with Bud Light sponsorship is just disgusting uh, uh, pandering to the anti trans crowd. But nobody's paying attention to Nikki Haley and her campaign was dead on arrival. So she's struggling for relevance. I want to give you another one of these examples of Fox News casually mentioning, oh, that story we covered for a week and told you that we verified independently. Turns out it was complete and total fake news. The latest is from Maria Bartiromo. This is the story Fox News ran with for a week last week about supposed homeless veterans being kicked out of hotels in order to make room for undocumented immigrants because of something Biden did. The story was totally made up. Maria Bartiromo waited an extra week before casually updating us that the story was completely made up.
2: We want to update you on a report last week claiming that upstate hotels in Orange and Rockland counties, including the Crossroads Hotel Crossroads right. Hotel, evicted a group of homeless veterans. We've since learned that veterans advocates misled local officials, and oh. it now turns out those eviction claims were false. We want to update you on the story. Make sure the record was set straight and we'll get more to you as we get
0: it. Yeah, there you go. What she means is it's fake news. We reported fake news and angered people and fired people up based on a story that's completely imaginary. And remember that Fox News said they verified the story. It's not. Well, listen, someone reported this and we were misled. They claimed to have verified the story. And what it sounds like is going on is Fox News lawyers have said you might want to make a, some kind of retraction about this. Uh, we did talk earlier this week of Laura Ingram. Um, Also, casually mentioning, by the way, that story was fake. All right. Before we go, a little update on a story we brought you this week about homeless vets being displaced from hotels so that illegals could move in. Turns out the group behind the claim made it up. We have no clue as to why anyone would do such a thing, but we'll bring you any updates should they come. Why would any, as I said on Monday, why would anybody lie? in order to try to support their pre-existing political narratives that Biden is treating undocumented immigrants quote better than Americans and veterans why would why would anyone make that up And this was one other retraction that was issued.
2: Quick update on a story from earlier this week about homeless veterans being displaced from a hotel in Newburgh, New York uh, to make room for migrants. We're now looking into new reports that a veterans advocate misled lawmakers about or and media outlets about a story that some homeless men may have I've uh, been hired to pose mm. as veterans. We've we reached know. out to the organization for a statement, but so far have not
0: heard back. It's we'll all it back so hazy. We just don't know what happened. So there is Maria Bartiromo shamelessly joining those who say, listen, I don't know. We were misled. Wait, you said you verified the story that they don't mention anymore. Completely and totally pathetic. We'll see if any more retractions are coming. We have such a great bonus show for you today that I hope that you're already a member Oh, the bonus show where you want to make money. Yeah,
2: everybody else that makes money to fund themselves is bad.
0: We will discuss on today's bonus show the new study that finds two billion people could be impacted by life threatening heat by the end of the century. We've talked about heat before, and I don't mean Trump talking about applying light and heat to cure. I'm talking about heat and uh, climate change and the issues that it will bring forward. This new study uh, is very specific about where these dangerous heat levels will be. Secondly, in Texas, they are allowing unlicensed religious chaplains to, quote, counsel students as if they were therapists, but they are not. This is the latest uh, placating of the uh, uh, religious uh, I don't even know what to call, you know, what to call them, the, the sort of Christian Sharia type folks in Texas. We will discuss it. And U.S. colleges are now exploring what would admissions look like if they were no longer race conscious, which is we're talking about affirmative action here. This would be a major change in American college admissions. What would it mean? What would it do? What would the implications be? All of those stories and more on today's bonus show. Can't wait for you to join us by simply signing up at joinpacman.com.